Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. In early April, I had the opportunity to talk with Nick Humphrey, the managing partner at Hamilton Locke, a corporate law firm with offices in Sydney and Melbourne, Australia. The firm's messaging, an agile corporate law firm established as an evolution of the legal industry focused on aligning the interests of its people with clients, is fully on display in this episode as Nick describes the firm's model for structure and culture they call Thrive. Close to three years in, they are attracting and retaining talent, and the industry they serve has taken notice. Hi, Nick. Great to have you on our program. I'm excited to share your story and the story of Hamilton Locke. Can you share with our listeners Hamilton Locke's approach to the business of law and why that approach has been successful? We wanted to build a firm which was both agile and lean and really focused on client experience and people experience, so CX and PX. And to do that, we needed to evolve the platform that the legacy partnerships were using. So we focused on six key operating principles or pillars, which I call the Thrive model. So the T in Thrive is for talent. We wanted to never, ever compromise on our talent. So we were very ruthlessly focused on getting the best DNA from the top firms, ideally with sort of global experience, but more importantly, probably the traits, the character traits of the people we were hiring were really consistent and deliberate around, you know, were they hardworking, humble, were they have a good sense of humor and so on. So we were quite deliberate about that as well. And really, we wanted to only offer practice areas where we knew we could be top quartile. So the H in the model is really for high performance. So every little part of the business from the structure, systems, processes, culture, behaviors, and so on, need to be all aligned about driving high performance. And it wasn't just financial performance, it was also cultural performance. And part of that package of high performance is about being agile. We found the old traditional models were a bit bureaucratic and slow, and we really wanted to be able to pivot quickly and be nimble. The third element is resilience, R for resilience. We want it to be lean, profitable, and that's why we offshored and outsourced and process mapped. And we just want to be able to focus on those front parts of the business, so the people and the clients, and to sort of outsource the back office so we were nice and lean as well. The I in the Thrive model is for impact. So every little thing we did, we want to be able to move the dial and have real impact. Part of that was just being careful about the clients that we selected and obviously deselected. We only wanted to work with people who could see the value we added. So clients that wanted us to be cheap or have a light touch and be a commodity didn't really suit us. We wanted to have clients that could really see the value that our hands-on approach could bring. The next part is V for values. So the whole business is very values aligned, very deliberate about the culture we wanted and then the values and behaviors that created that culture. So we wanted to be vibrant, energetic, collaborative and ambitious. And the last part, the E is for being evolved. And every part of the strategy was an evolution of the traditional partnership model. So as you said before, we are a company, not a partnership, sorry. So everyone is now an owner and we believe that the care of one owner is worth 10 employees. All of our systems were redesigned to drive collaboration, for example, remuneration, reporting, meetings. We took that to the next evolution. Structurally, we moved away from the traditional model of practice groups and service lines, and instead we use key account management, 
pursuit teams, client teams, working groups, those sorts of things to get more connections between the practice areas. We also have a balance sheet. This allows us to take long-term thinking, to invest in technology, invest in training, take a really long-term view on things. And also the offering that the group has is not just the traditional legal aspects, but also company secretarial and more flexible models, so insourcing and outsourcing as well. Interesting direction. You created this model. You obviously have thought through the strategy, the approach, the approach to hiring. Did you have a model in mind? Were you copying something you saw in a different industry that you said, okay, I've seen this, although I haven't seen this in law, I've seen this in some kind of other organization? Yeah, definitely. Before we launched the business, we spent a couple of years doing planning, research, interviews. I was really lucky. I got to speak to CEOs, entrepreneurs, even elite soldiers, Olympic athletes, super coaches. I really did hundreds of hours of research, looking at different models out of everything from business to the military to sport and tried to kind of pull together what would work for us to kind of build a high-performing team, reduce churn, get better engagement and so on. Very interesting. So you've created the model, you're two years and a few months, I believe, in. What's been surprising? What has occurred that you didn't expect to occur? That's an interesting question. We sort of felt that the CX or client experience and the PX or people experience were going to be different, and we would run the two of those strategies separately. But what we found is actually that they were very much interrelated. So in other words, clients really valued our culture. So if you take a step back, we believe that most lawyers love what they do. They like solving problems for their clients. They like helping their clients, but big law kept on getting in the way. So everything from how you open a file to running a conflict check, all those things were slow and bureaucratic. Even simple things like publishing an article would go off to get approved by someone overseas. A very sort of frustrating environment. So we felt that if we could get rid of those frustrations, the people experience would be better. What we found, or the big surprise, was that clients were choosing us over competitors because of our great culture. And what was really interesting is that Beaton have just done a survey in Australia. They haven't actually released it yet. They'll be releasing it soon. I got to see a a beta of the survey results and they found that something like 34% of clients chose a firm due to the alignment of culture. So when you have the same expertise and the same personal connection, culture becomes the desider, which was fascinating. That is. And, you know, it's interesting because I'd love to hear more about how that appears in the day-to-day work, right? So how and where you see that? I mean, do you actually see the culture of your customers and the culture of your firm blending? Is that a way that you're attracting customers with current customers? Are you seeing a difference in the relationship? Really, how has that manifested itself in the day-to-day business of law at Hamilton Lock? Yes, I think clients want to see someone that reflects their own values and their own behaviors. So this idea that they'll just come to you because you're you know, an expert in a technical area doesn't hold as true. So to the extent that your culture is nurturing and energetic and their culture is also nurturing and energetic, they'll, they'll sort of warm to you. So in every part of the interaction, the culture sort of shines through. So a simple example could be the speed at which you return a phone call. So if a client's operating real time and you're also operating real time, they'll warm to that. Another example would just be around diversity. Our kind of firm and its culture is very inclusive and has a great deal of diversity, 
not just in terms of gender balance, but a simple example could be we have something like 25 different nationalities represented in the firm. People have worked and travelled and lived and studied all around the world and have all different backgrounds. That's the same with our clients. Our clients aren't just all middle-aged white men. They're actually there's a huge sort of gender diversity and diversity of background and so on. And I also think another sort of nuance to the diversity angle is it's not just about being lawyers. We need to have a diversity of thought and skill sets. So we're very deliberately built out the business to have other skill sets at all levels. So the management structure, the board and so on have people not just from legal backgrounds. A lot of the big law firms, that the management teams are all ex-lawyers and the what we tried to do was get a board and a management team that had had different experiences, so from technology, from finance, with talent, from leadership and so on. So we've taken a very broad perspectives to make sure that we can kind of learn from other industries and other experiences. And, and again, clients like that. No, I could see that. Obviously, you've had a great experience. You've been able to take that white piece of paper and do research, create a firm that, that takes a different approach. What is that success story that for you tells you you've gone down the right road? Some of it's going back to basics around just our approach in a more granular way. So I think part of it is looking at clients' problems holistically, not just through the lens of your narrow technical expertise. That's one part of it. Another part of it is having the courage to not sit on the fence. So I think a lot of particularly black letter lawyers tend to say, oh, the problem is this, the legislation won't let you do this. So they're kind of a traffic light, they stop you. Whereas our approach is find a solution, be commercial, you know, don't sit on the fence, call out if you think the client shouldn't do the deal even. Another sort of theme for us is really building communities. So we'll spend a lot of our time not just having one-on-one coffees, but actually building a rich, deep community that brings together kind of key stakeholders in a niche. An example of that would be the Growth Awards, which is, we've been doing that for nine years now. It's got 4,000 growth companies in it that turnover of three, four, five hundred million. It's a really big, deep, active community. So with all those things in the background, we can then connect the dots. So our approach is really don't just be the lawyer, use your networks and your business now to make deals happen. So there's a whole series of deals where we wouldn't have gotten the work, the legal work, unless we were a bit more active. So we would be doing weekly calls with key private equity funds, family offices, sovereign wealth funds, alternative credit funds, and gathering the market intelligence and then connecting the dots. So some of the really big private equity funds would do fortnightly calls with us. And I think the reality is there are so many lawyers that are doing private equity or M&A or corporate finance to sort of stand out in the pack, particularly as a challenger brand. We had to do something really differently. Whether or not the deal goes ahead that we've helped to originate is slightly less relevant. What we're actually doing is having complex conversations with those big clients about what their needs are, what their challenges are, and the problems they're facing aren't always just one narrow area of law. It's a broad, complex, multi-faceted problem. But by having a seat at the table to work with them to connect the dots, then we might find them a director or a chairperson or a CEO or actually a source of capital or a company to buy. So we would have dozens of files where our role was to be just a bit more than the lawyer, to be commercial, to connect the dots. And that's worked really well for us. Now I can see that that partnership, especially in M&A transactions and private equity opportunities, there's a lot of trust that goes into that. In every new adventure, there are lessons learned. Was there something that has occurred either from your initial vision or the vision of the team 
that has been less than successful or something that, you know, has been harder in practice or harder to execute in practice than you had imagined? There are lots of things that have been less than successful and lots of things that have been harder than we imagined. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is breaking habits of a lifetime. So for us, we were so used to having a big office and so used to having a big secretary pool and so on. We had all these luxuries. So we had to break every part of the business to go from to open plan to paperless to less support and so on in the back office. But the biggest problem was probably time-based billing. Part of the strategy was really to move away from time-based billing. Lawyers hate it. Clients hate it. If you're a lawyer, it's such, so boring. It's such an administrative hassle to keep entering timesheets. Worse still, it gets really stressful when management are chasing you to, you know, where's your timesheet, where's your timesheet? And the clients hate it because there's no real correlation between the amount of the time that was input and the result so that you could have a, an inexperienced lawyer spend 50 hours researching something that a more experienced person could do in five hours. But the time input has no kind of link to the value you've created to a client. A really experienced, talented lawyer or partner could walk into a meeting that's had lots of frustration and politics and no movement and just through their experience and their style and approach, get things moving again, solve the problem in a a win-win sort of style. That could save a $100 million deal from falling over. Well, what's the real value to the client? The other thing with the sort of billable time is it seems to sort of track and reward one thing only, and that is how much time you put on the clock. If you want to try and reward other things like, is someone living our values? Is someone supporting our culture? Are they active on the non-financial things like training or building community and so on? How do you stop thinking just about time and start thinking about how would you measure and track those things? That was the strategy. And we certainly tried all sorts of things like retainers and fixed price and all you can eat models. So a large number of our files on an alternative fee arrangement. But the reality or the thing that's been less successful than I would like is that time still is infused in the fabric of a law firm. So everyone still thinks about how many billable hours they're doing. Clients still want to see breakdowns of time that's been input and hourly rates. And we're still trying to measure people on their contribution on the non-financial stuff through the hours that they've put in. So we found that that habit of thinking about everything from a time perspective had to be broken. So what we've tried to do, and it's a work in progress, is just stop thinking about time. Don't have a time-based target. Don't pay bonuses based on time. Don't track non-financials based on time. Focus on trying to measure and collect a whole range of other data. So 360-degree feedback loops from staff, what was the real impact of the project that they ran? So if it was a non-financial project and they were leading a working group, the fact that they joined a working group is awesome, but they could have spent 100 hours and got no result. If you go back to one of our core kind of pillars of that Thrive model, it was, did you get an impact? Did you get a result? So those working groups are little 100-day sprints, for example, got 100 days to a project, automate a document, use AI on a deal, whatever the project is, you've got 100 days and you've got to get impact. So it's trying to get away from focusing on time and in the input of time, actually we're saying, well, how do we get it focused around the value we're really adding and the impact that people are really having both on client projects and also within the firm. So it's too early to tell whether the changes we've made will kind of destroy time-based billing, but I think it's a big project that's worth focusing on. Let me ask, are you using a legal project management system or matter management systems or both to help monitor that and to get to the outcome that you've discussed with your client? 
are those kinds of tools being used is the question. So when people talk about the technology, they always think about automation or, or AI or something, but the best technologies are really the process mapping and project management tools and also the connectivity tools and sort of PX. So 15.5, for example, and Action Step all have with them project management components. So at the end of the year, you can kind of get all this different data about what was people's plans, both from a client point of view and then in terms of their contribution to the firm, we can track it on a weekly basis throughout the year. So again, that's something we're experimenting with and that's pretty exciting. Is there a specific market driver that you think is at your front door or something that your firm needs to be addressing at this point? I think the market pressures are such that talent is trapped in these big global firms and the big four accounting firms in an environment where they're not happy, they're not engaged, they're not flourishing. And so I think there's two parts of the market. There's the client market and there's the people market. And I think the people market, if we can solve that problem and provide that environment where you can get the best talent out of the top tier firms and the global firms and get them into an environment where it is really collaborative and there is a energetic and ambitious culture. You know, talent attracts talent, attacks talent. So every day we're now getting CVs from people out of those firms are coming direct. They're not even going through recruiters. So we're getting these fantastic CVs out of the best, best firms. And so I think that the talent market has responded to this sort of authentic approach around sort of collaboration in particular. But then the client market is responding as well because at the end of the day, while brand is important, I think this sort of personal connection going to somewhere that's got really smart people doing great work is also resonating. So I think the sort of the two aspects to it, the, the talent market and the client market, it's been really interesting to see the, the very high quality of clients that come following the talent, as it were. And you know, in the last 12 months, yeah, we've done like over 100 deals in, in 12 months, which is certainly punching above our weight. No, that's really interesting. And I have to say, I did some work myself in the private equity space, and it's not known for its friendly culture. So to have created a firm that's attracting those firms that are looking at culture and looking at the change in culture is, is that's a pretty significant statement. Yeah, definitely. Nick, thank you. It's been great to hear your perspective on your firm and the change that's occurred there. I really appreciate you being a guest on our program. Right. Thanks very much for having me. Tune into the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and ElevateServices.com.